the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Hey, good morning. Today is the third in the five-part series, The Gift of Exoneration, in partnership with the Northern California Innocence Project. Today's guest, Maurice Caldwell, spent 21 years, 21 years in a California state prison for a crime that was committed by someone else. For those who, of us who live outside the prison walls often forget the meaning of freedom, of personal liberty, to be free of confinement, to control our daily activities, or to go in and out of our homes whenever we want. Maurice Caldwell appreciates his freedom up close and personal, 21 years in prison. Maurice was convicted in 1991 of a murder in the Alamany Housing Project in San Francisco, California. He was 24 years old in 1990 when he was arrested. There was no physical evidence connected to Maurice to the crime, and none of the surviving victims identified him as a shooter. He was convicted solely on the testimony of one person. Maurice was released after a judge found his attorney to be ineffective for failing to investigate, and post-conviction investigation resulted in a confession from the real killer and produced two witnesses who saw the murder and exonerated Maurice. So, although he was granted a fair trial, a new, new trial, the judge ruled that he would not get a fair trial since the first eyewitness was deceased. So the district attorney dismissed the case, but unfortunately insisted there was no finding of innocence and Maurice was released, what they said, on a technicality. So Maurice is here today to tell his story. Good morning, Maurice. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, i to be here. Thank you. And also joining the show is Paige Kneb. Paige is a supervising attorney at the Northern California Innocence Project, an arm of Santa Clara University Law School. Paige does many things at um, Santa Clara University Law School and the Innocence Project, but mostly she represents indigent inmates who have strong claims of innocence. She's a cum laude graduate of the University of San Francisco School of Law, and she began with NCIP as a volunteer in 2007, followed by a two-year clinical fellowship program, and then she was promoted to supervising attorney. So as lead attorney, Paige has won two cases resulting in exonerations, plus she was also a member of the legal team securing exonerations of two other folks. Paige is a member of the American Civil Liberties Union, the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, and the California Attorneys for Criminal Justice. Welcome, Paige. Thanks, Francie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys uh, being on the show. And 
And Maurice, uh, let's go back, if you don't mind, to, I, to the time of 1990 and you were arrested for this crime. What, what was your life like then? What were you doing? You know, I have a, I had a, I guess, I don't know how to say average life or whatnot, but I was growing up, you know, in the ghetto, doing what I needed to do to try to, you know, live every day, you know, survive, stay alive. And like, my wife, my life wasn't no different than anybody else's life. You know, it just so happened, you know, uh, this came into my life and, uh, it changed my life. You know, my life was, you know, how do you say, drastically changed from an incident. You know that led up to me being incarcerated. Well, Maurice, did were you actually living in the Alameda Housing Project at the time? Yes, I was. I was living in the project. For one, I grew up in the projects. You know, so like okay. this was like what, what you'll call my neighborhood. You know, my family and all that. You know, we grew up down there. And me, I when I when I like say grew up, that means I continue to be down there. You know, that was a place like where people go to a park. I go there, you know, to the projects or other projects, you know. Right. Sure. And and how were you identified as the person that that uh, committed this crime? Okay, for one, I wasn't identified, you know, throughout no investigation. Uh, my name wasn't brought up in, in, throughout no investigation. I was personally indulged and in, in, inputted in this in this case by an officer that me and him had you no know, conflicts like earlier before this incident even happened. You know, so it was an officer that implicated me in this crime that bought my name. It wasn't like they did an investigation and they said, let's check out Maurice Caldwell. It was an officer who was like, oh, if that happened in the projects, let's check out Maurice Caldwell. You know, so that's how I got involved in this crime. Okay, and then then if how I did can, the witness Can I jump in for a second, Francis? Sure, absolutely. So Go that ahead. same officer that Maurice was talking about, Maurice had filed a civilian complaint against him for assaulting him, and uh, that was pending at the time that the murder happened. And he was a narcotics officer, but they brought him out to canvas the projects for the murder. And when the homicide inspector talked to Mary Cobbs, who ended up being the one witness against Maurice, the narcotics officer grabbed Maurice and brought him up to her front door. Um and essentially told her she, he was arresting her. He was arresting Maurice for this murder. And even then, she didn't identify him. Uh, she said that the guys weren't from the neighborhood, and she didn't know their names or nicknames. And then two weeks later, the police came back with a six-pack with Maurice's photo in it, told her they'd move her out of the projects if she cooperated, and asked her to identify their suspect. And uh, they only turned on the tape recorder after she had after she had said that Maurice was the shooter, and she said she knew him by his name, his nickname, Tuan, and that she knew him because he lived next door to her. Hmm. So she identified him because she already knew what he looked like. Well, and because no, they already no, brought like, him up to her door now and then brought him back brought, right. and said they were arresting him, and then they bring back a six-pack, so she knows That's who's what, their suspect yeah. at this point. That's what I mean. When she identified the six pack, him in the six pack, which is the, the six photos they put on a page for people right. to look at, um, she identified him because she already knew who he was, knew him, not because right. she was identifying him as a perpetrator. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, and and Maurice, did you knew this lady? Yes, I I, I know that lady. Not to be uh like personal speaking to her, you know, but we I've been knowing the lady, me and like family friends and. A lot of us, you know, for like many, many years, you know, she stayed in the projects, you know, and she re- she moved like in one spot and then moved down the hill. And when she moved down the hill, she moved like right directly next door to me. You know what I'm saying? Where I was staying at. 
you know, but I, I never knew her to speak to her. We just knew her as her kids, you know, she stayed in the house, you know, so we see her kids and, and people know her kids name, you know, and all that. But we never, you know, like interacted. She never interacted with anybody, you know what I'm saying, within the projects, you know, the residents and the projects. You know? And and did it ever come out during trial um, that her name is Cobbs, right? Yes, Mary Cobbs. That Mary Cobbs was given benefits by the DA's office and the police department? No, that never came out, you know, during my trial. The only thing that came out was they moved her to a secluded area, you know, for, uh, I guess, uh, witness protection. And, uh, well, what they that's said only... was they actually moved her to another housing project. So they made it sound like she didn't get anything from it. It was just another housing project. But we found out later that it was somewhere that was a lot nicer, where she felt a lot safer. And they also, after the trial, gave her a key to the city, $1,000, a trip to Disneyland, a new job. Um, and wow. none of that obviously came out. Yeah. That's, I guess, I guess snitching is big business these days. Wow. Well, see, well, see, snitching, snitching, I look at snitching as a different thing. Snitching yeah. if you, if you did a crime and you That's tell on a person. You know what I'm saying? This wasn't considered as snitching. You know, the lady just made up a story, went with it and pointed a finger at a person and, and just didn't, didn't turn back. You, you know, and a, then. Yeah. You make a good and, point, Bernie. That I probably misspoke. I take that back. Um, no, so, so Maurice, you were arrested. You were put in San Francisco jail. You then were appointed an attorney. Was that a public defender? Yes, yes. Okay. And was this same public defender the one that carried you through trial that was uh, declared no. ineffective? No, you know, no. I had a, I was appointed a public defender, and this was a public defender by the name of Lisa Dewberry. Okay, okay. When, she, when she came in and she read the paperwork, and first of all, she was saying, you know, the case wasn't right. You know, something is wrong with this case. So as a public defender saying that, I felt the need that I really need to hire somebody to really fight this. Because I can, you know, they call public defenders public pretenders. But now I see now, you know, they public defenders. You know, you get a good one, you get bad ones, you know. <laughs> right, you know? that's right. But uh, so when, when, I, when I hired a, a, a lawyer to fight my case, you know, I, I hired a lawyer with the enthusiasm that this person was going to fight and, you know, even tear up the courtroom if need to be to prove my innocence. And that's wasn't what it was. I hired a pretender, a real pretender. Okay. And so, I, and this person, this attorney you had, name, did, I'm sorry? His name is Craig Martin, imposter. Craig Martin. Okay. Now, his, is he still an attorney? Uh, I don't know. No, my lawyer can answer that, you know, because I never followed, you know, his. He's been disbarred, actually. He got disbarred, actually, about a month before Maurice and before he was found ineffective in Maurice's case for a bunch of other things, including a case he'd mishandled around the same time as Maurice's. Amazing. So so he was disbarred in 2011? Yes. Wow. Uh, no, sorry, the end of 2010. So nice. Maurice's conviction was overturned in December of 2010, but he didn't get out till March of 2011. But right before they overturned his conviction, um, the state bar disbarred Craig Martin. Wow. And so Craig Martin didn't hire an investigator at all, or or the, he didn't follow through with what he did hire? No, no Craig, he didn't Craig. hire one at all. Not at all. And he didn't himself do any. Like, it's not like he himself was hitting the streets either. He... He didn't hire someone, and the only people he ever interviewed were people that Maurice's girlfriend brought into his office. You know, it's it's always surprising to me, but, you know, uh, many times cases rise and fall on good work of investigators. 
Absolutely. And for and and even then, an attorney, even though some attorneys do do investigation, they're handicapped because they they don't really have the investigative skills that a trained investigator has. So uh, it, it really is a puzzle when I hear things like this. So, Maurice, did you know that that you should be having an investigator at the time? No. By me fighting a case that I had no involvement in whatsoever, I, I was just closing my eyes and having hope, you know, right. that the truth will prevail. And just like, you know, like when they say investigation work and all that, in every case, I'm saying majority of every case, investigation work is essential. Okay. And when they come to my lawyer, it's like he wasn't prepared to, you know, just like any other lawyer, they'd never be prepared to fight a totally innocent case. You know, a person right. may always get a client that say they innocent, they didn't yeah. do it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So a lawyer, his job is to come aboard and, you know, like, okay, try to plug up the holes of, your, you know, you being not guilty. Okay, in my case, he didn't, he didn't see, I guess the lawyer didn't see no way and, you know, working with the case and all that. Because I guess he just truthfully believed I was innocent and I guess he just wanted the state to prove their point out of, out of every aspect. You know, so by him not doing his investigation, that was a, the crucial part to my case. But then at the same time, I feel an innocent person shouldn't have to build up a defense and show, you know, he was innocent. You know, when when the, the state case itself, you know, clearly showed that I'm, I, I wasn't the person involved. And, you know, what I'm saying and it's a personal thing that that what got my name involved in this crime, you mm-hmm. know, that they should have looked at, you know, for mm-hmm. instance, a like really I say, good point, Maurice. The DA, I think any objective person looking at the ID and looking at that that's the only evidence against him. Yes. And even the police were interviewing other people who were telling them Maurice was innocent, he was inside. So, I mean, taking an objective look at the case, you would know I mean, there, there were problems from the start. She was completely unreliable. There were questions like, why, would, why wouldn't she have told the police officers in the first interview that it was Tuan who stays next door to me if, if that's what ends up being her ID? Instead, uh-huh. she says, you know, they're not from around here. I heard they're from Sunnydale or Hunter's Point. I don't know their names or nicknames. Um, and, so, and, Maurice, I'm assuming that you told Mr. Martin that um, this this officer had a beef against you. When, see, it was, it, was, it was no secret. You know, like, even, like, doing the investigation, like, after the crime, they say the crime was done. You know, I never was aware that this officer was involved with investigating or doing something. So after the crime was committed, like two weeks after the crime, I, I was in, the, I was coming through the projects in the car with my cousin and them. And uh, this officer, personally, you know, the homicide inspectors was, I guess, doing their job. They was, they was in the house getting investigated. Uh, I mean, getting a statement. But this one officer, Kit Crenshaw. He was out, you know, roaming the projects, and when he seen me, I was that main, that, that focused target that he came at, and when he came at me, he, he took me to the lady house, you know what I'm saying? So this person, of, of, of officer, he shouldn't have never been involved in this crime, no, no way, no shape or fashion, you know? Because we, and then when they told me that this officer informed them that, uh, I said I was with the killers, with, before the crime and after the crime, the officer told him, that I said this, and I was like, you know, I never was said no like that. Even if I was involved, hypothetically involved, I would never have told this officer. So that right there should have been a red flag. Yeah, you know? for, for sure. You know, for but sure. that, but it never it never did. You know, the, the yeah. red flags never came up. And then when I told him, I said, man, this officer have assaulted me months before. You know, this murder happened or this killing happened. You know, and and I got it on record. I filed a case. You know, that, that was that was nothing that they looked at. You know what I'm saying? And they should have looked at. Oh, if this the part this this was going on. Yeah, this officer shouldn't have no personal involvement in right. his crime. 
No, I'm saying, but and they didn't do that. They, a, there was a letter in the DA's file that says that even though they had no evidence, it was police who suspected that was Maurice was involved. So, I mean, the DA knew that it was the police who had gotten Maurice into this in the first place, on top of, you know, actually bringing him up to the witness's door before she ID'd them. And that was, of course, not disclosed either, evidently. Um, uh, so, it was. It was just unfortunate because Maurice's lawyer was so bad, he just didn't use it right. <laughs> oh, I see. And and what's... Okay, so nothing's happened to the district attorney. The district attorney did his job correctly, turned over evidence, and and did. Well, we don't know because we don't we don't have a defense file, so we're not. And there are things Maurice's attorney didn't do with with stuff that we've now gotten from the DA's file, but we just can't tell whether he had it or not. Um, But the district attorney who prosecuted Maurice Algiannini has had uh, a number of cases overturned for prosecutorial misconduct. Yeah, that's right. Al Janini is a well-known name around uh, the Northern California area. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, um, so Maurice, you're you you go to trial. Now, how long did you sit in jail before you actually went to trial? I would say like probably like four and a half to five and a half months. Okay, and then here you are. You're sitting in trial, listening to this. You can see where where it's going, can't you? Yeah, no, 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 because you know my lawyer. He told me, you know, when I was looking and 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 just being there for after a day, you know, I was being depressed. I was being, you know, nervous. So he told me I look like a person of of guilt, you know. So then I relax, and then I just started letting the trial take its place, even throughout the trial. You know what I'm saying? The, through the inconsistencies and through the stories, you know, it was clear to me as it was to everybody else that I wasn't the perpetrator. But but due to them bringing the, the, this DA that everybody really known as a sharp, shrewd DA, he bought in uncharged cases that prejudiced my jury. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't about did Maurice Caldwell uh, uh, be involved in a murder or commit this murder. Now it was involved. It was it was all about did Maurice Caldwell assault another person? Did Maurice Caldwell you know give my, a different address to the police? See, it was all about other uh, uh, bad act characters that would change my whole trial. Okay, so, so, so you're saying that they had information. Yes. Uh, somebody accused you of something that was never actually charged or filed or adjudicated or something. They might have picked you up for something and, and had some kind of a little file on you and they used all of those things. Yes. And, and, and I I would just like to say, you know, like witnesses, you know, all my witnesses, me fighting a, a crime that I didn't commit, all my witnesses were, were, witnesses from my residence you know what i'm saying and my residence was the projects mm-hmm. you know and, and, and like when my, my i have my witnesses get on the stand you know instead of tearing up tearing down they 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 uh character it was like i was the whole purpose of them having no character no good character at all by just them knowing me and would say i wasn't involved with it was was a bad act person for them to be uh be believable okay you know and so you're sitting there in court during your trial thinking there's there's no way they're possible possibly can convict me with the evidence they have. No. That's what that's what you're thinking? No, I, I no, not with no evidence. I, I didn't care about no evidence. So whatever they had, I'm just like, ain't no way in A H E L L they go convict me for that's a crime I, mean. I didn't do. That, that's for what crime, I mean. No, for a crime I didn't do. Not not weighing the evidence, you know what I'm saying? Because in my mind there was no evidence. It, it was it was stuff that was put together. You know, okay. 
We're saying, you and I are saying the same thing, actually. Okay. All right. Maurice, we're going to take a break and pay, uh, page. Today, my guests are Maurice Caldwell, released from prison in 2011, and Paige Kanab, a supervising attorney from the Northern California Innocence Project. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We're back to discuss the wrongful conviction of Maurice Caldwell and the good work of the Northern California Innocence Project. So, Maurice, you got convicted. This was in, um, actually was in 1990. Is that yes. right? Okay. Yes. 91. And, and then you, where did you get sent first? To San Quentin? Yes, I went San- to San Quentin. From San Quentin, I went to uh, uh, Folsom. Uh-huh. And I stayed in Folsom. And I went to New Folsom. From New Folsom. I went back to Old Folsom, from Old Folsom, I went to New Folsom, from New Folsom, I went to Mule Creek State Prison, from State Prison, Mule Creek State Prison, I went to Pleasant Valley, from Pleasant Valley State Prison, I went to, uh, back to Old Folsom, and that's why I was released. Okay, alright, and then released in 2011. So, how did you get in contact with the Innocence Project? You know, the Innocence Project was, you know, always in my, in my life, you know, even from when I first went to prison. You know, I learned from, you know, about this uh, uh, innocent project called Century Ministry, uh, the Century Ministry of the Innocent mm-hmm. Project, you know, uh, from uh, Jim McCloskey. You know, he had he was he, he was taking care. He, he had this case with uh, Chance, uh, a guy named Chance and Powell. You know, that, that was like in 90, 
91. So that was when I first heard. So I got the information from a guy named Chance, you know, to uh, write to the people. So I wrote to him and uh, let them know that I was an innocent person and uh, see if I could get any help from them. So as I wrote to them, I continued to write to other places, you know, like Dateline, 20 minutes, 60, uh, Dateline, 20, 20, 60 minutes, mm -hmm. and uh, all type of other lawyers, you know, and getting on the Internet, having my family put me on the Internet, you know, asking to seek uh, the legal representation of a lawyer, you know, to help me prove my innocence. So it, it, it just was going through in, uh, innocent project after innocent, innocent project, but then I got... Uh, hooked up with the Santa Clara Innocent Project through the San Francisco Innocent Project through, uh, uh, Jeff Adachi had a, uh, public defender, uh, office that they had, uh, Innocent Project there and I was accepted there. And, okay, uh, let, let me back up, Maurice. And you said Jim McCloskey. Jim McCloskey must be an attorney, is that right? No, J Jim McCloskey was, I guess he had, he, had, he was involved with the Century Ministry. Oh, and, okay. Know, I think he's an attorney, Maurice, for Century yes, yes. Ministry. Okay. So. You know, so you were you were in prison with a guy named Chance who may, had made contact with Jim McCluskey at the Centurion Ministries. No, Sorry. no, the Century Ministry in '91. That was this was my first time hearing of the Innocent Project. He was he was he was low, uh, 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 all on TV. The, the guy that I was in Folsom with, he was uh, getting uh, interviews and TV from the, the the innocent people. So when he got out, that was the people that helped him get out. Okay, got it. Okay, and then Jeff Adachi. Jeff Adachi is the public defender that supervises the public defender's office in San Francisco. And so you're saying that, that Jeff has set up an innocence project within his office? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. When he, okay. When, he when he did that, I wrote to the, uh, to, to, to the public defender office and my case got accepted and they, they, they was, uh, investigating my case. You know, I had a, a lawyer there. And from then, you know, they, 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 they was a non-profit, uh, organization, so they didn't have the time to really invest, uh, donate to the innocent cases. So yeah, they, they had, had to close their innocence project down. Oh, you know? that's too so, bad. So while they, while they was closing the innocent project down, you know, the lawyer I had, you know, he, that was on my case for a while. You know what I'm saying? He, he really believed in my innocence and he looked at, you know, a lot of stuff and he told me what I should do. He said I should write to the Santa Clara, you know, and, uh, Asked for their help, you know, because uh, he, he really believed my innocence, and uh, he also uh, attached a letter too. So okay. that's how I got hooked up with the Santa Clara. And I and I know from talking to other representatives of the Northern California Innocence Project that if something something gets referred by somebody that's worked on the case, uh, you look at those very seriously, right, Paige? Yeah. So more generally, we have it's at least three years before a lawyer can look at your case, just because we have so many people writing to us. But like in Maurice's case, once we got the letter with the letter from an attorney, it got sent right to me. So, um, so yeah, it does. It definitely jumps the line and helps us helps us evaluate um, when when we have another attorney who's looked into it. Yeah. Okay. And so then, what happened after that, Paige? What What was the next step? Well, so um, the San Francisco Innocence Project had done some great, the public defender's office had done some really great work and had gone and interviewed a guy named Merritt Funches, who one of the witnesses had told police that he was the real shooter um, back in 1990. So, um, And he, was that disclosed? It was. It, I, it, I believe so. I mean, one of the witnesses testified to it at trial, yes. so... But she wow. was another person who got discredited based on, um, you know, various things in her past. Mm, okay. Um, 
But so he had, he subsequently wrote letters confessing to the crime and giving great details about it and drawing, he drew a diagram that matched, you know, the physical evidence and the surviving victim's testimony about where things happened. And um, so we followed up on that. And with Maurice had a whole list of people who he thought either might have seen something or might have been out on the street at the time. So we started just knocking on doors. And I um, luckily got help from two investigators, a lady named Beverly Myers, who had seen Craig Martin and Maurice back in 1990. Her clients had told her, you know, there was an innocent guy in there. And she had told Craig, you know, you need to get an investigator. Um, and saw Craig after Maurice got convicted and said he was just, you know, a complete mess. So she'd always said she would help on the case. So she helped out. And then Sheila Klopper, a just amazing investigator who works with the Innocence Project and donates a lot of her time, also agreed to help out. And um, she helped me find one of the witnesses who who was actually was out on the street at the time and told us who the two shooters were, where everything happened, um, and that Maurice wasn't there or involved in any way. And Sheila has just amazing skills at connecting with people. So it's it's so yes, great to be able to work with good investigators because, you know, they're able to get people talking. And, um, you know, she, the, our witness had uh, just gone to check in on his mom. We were kind of lucked out finding him. And she was able to bond with the mom. And so he initially hadn't been very excited to talk to us. And then after listening to Sheila talk for a while, he just opened up and told us everything that happened. And he'd never told anyone that he'd seen this. So... It was really? pretty amazing. Yeah. Wow. And and his and, reason for not telling anybody was just because he didn't want to get involved? Yeah, I mean, he said he was on the run at the time, and just no one came and talked to him. So he wasn't about to, like, show up at the courthouse and be like, hey, you know, <laughs> there's a warrant out for my arrest, and uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just here to, you know, turn yeah. myself in. Um and, and the, because and he thought, you know, like I think like everybody, you know, if, if someone's innocent, they're not going to get convicted. I think everybody right. is always surprised that someone yeah. who had nothing to do with a crime can actually get convicted of it. I Yes, I hear that so frequently. I, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and now when, he, when you guys got involved, this guy named Funches, who was the actual killer, was in prison for another crime. Yes, right? after, yeah, um, shortly, uh, shortly after Maurice was arrested, he fled, uh, to another state where he killed someone else. Wow. And, and he was in prison in that state. Yeah. And when, so somebody went to talk to him from your office or an investigator went to talk to him? Yeah, well, first um, an investigator and someone from the public defender's office and then subsequently me and, um, uh, our legal director, Linda Starr, and then when we were prepping for Maurice's retrial, because the DA had initially said they were going to retry him, um, myself and the lawyer from the public defender's office who was going to represent Maurice, now that Maurice knows how wonderful San Francisco public defenders are, um, <laughs> uh, we went also. Yeah. <laughs> so, and and what happened with Funches? I mean, did he just say, yeah, I did it? I mean, what's what happened with him? Yeah, I mean, he's kind of an um, an incredible character. He, um, you know, like Maurice, grew up in the projects and uh, I think actually had much worse life than Maurice. Um, you know, Maurice had a good mom who, and grandma who took care of him. And um, 
he's been, I think, you know, one of the most amazing <laughs> things he said is we, uh, Linda asked him, you know, why are you doing this? And he said, I, you know, I have nothing to gain from this. It's just telling the truth. And he wrote to Linda afterwards saying, I was wrong in saying I have nothing to gain from this. I'm fighting for my humanity just as you're fighting to save an innocent person and you're helping me to find my humanity by telling the truth. Um, wow. That's pretty you know, he powerful. Knows what he, yeah. He, he, he knows it was wrong and he knows it was wrong to let uh, an innocent person sit in prison for his crime without saying anything. And Yeah, great. So, um, so back to the Innocence Project, uh, I know... Paige, you, besides you did some investigation on this case and you, you sometimes conduct investigation, but you also draft petitions on their cases and motions for DNA testing. Uh, you go to court and you litigate claims and then you, you also even teach classes to some of the students on yeah. the Innocence Project, right? Yeah, it's a pretty great job. I mean, you get a really uh, wide range of things to do. No day is ever the same as another day. And and your students will take a case and look at it. Is that right? Yeah. So students, we we have a we're a clinic at a law school, so we're a nonprofit. Um, we take all our cases on a pro bono basis, and we teach students about the causes of wrongful conviction. But they also get to work on actual cases. So the idea is that they get also training in how to be a lawyer and get to do something meaningful during law school. Um, and they'll work on a case under the supervision of, a ter- of an attorney. But they, and then they get to do everything with us. So if we go to prison, they come with us. If we go investigate, if we go to court, they help us draft habeas petitions and motions for DNA testing. Um, so it's pretty, it's a pretty great experience for students as well. I know um, the students who worked on Maurice's case just loved it. A couple of them stayed pretty much their entire law school careers, um, either taking the class or volunteering with us, um, and then even after graduating have stayed in touch. And, uh, you know, we had a big celebration after Maurice got out, and one of the students who, the first student on his case is now uh, working at a law firm, and she came down and uh, celebrated with us. So That's great. That's Yeah. What a, and what a great experience for them, too, because this is really uh, justice in action. At the very know, two core. of the students came and waited outside of the jail for Maurice, and so they got to see him walk out of jail for you know his first time being free in 21 years almost. And we had a you know went to McDonald's afterwards because that's what Maurice <laughs> wanted. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, um, Paige, when when your students investigate the case, I mean, they, so they must you must give them the discovery. Do they read everything? How does that work? They do. I mean, they, they have to go through the whole file. We, t- we talk to them about, you know, if you're going to go interview a witness, you need to know everything they've ever said and everything that's been said about them that's, you know, that we have access to at least. Um, and then we talk about, you know, preparing a list of questions, even though you don't actually want to read from a list of questions when you go. And, um, and usually the first time either the investigator or myself, if we don't, we are not lucky enough to have an investigator, We'll kind of take the lead and let and let them see how it works, and then maybe on the next one, if they feel comfortable enough, they'll they'll ask some questions. Or towards the end too, especially you know, we always encourage them to jump in with anything. Sure. Um, and so and I, you would like if you have if there are attorneys out there that um, would like to donate their time, you would accept that, correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, we, 
We love all assistance. <laughs> okay, so that means attorneys, investigate private investigators. And you have to be private. a private investigator to help on an investigation. Um, yeah, ex- private investigators, experts, attorneys. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody. We take undergrad volunteers when we can, um, law school volunteers, really anybody who wants to help out. Um, sometimes it's hard because we're such a small office, and sometimes people need you know, for people who need more supervision, like un- untrained people, it's a little more difficult. But absolutely, mm-hmm. and especially investigators. I mean, they're so important to a case, and it's it's hard post conviction. And um, and the and the def- student gets to go with the investigator, which is really kind of cool for them as well to go yeah. with a, a real licensed investigator to do an interview. Oh yeah, it's such a valuable experience. So if somebody is interested in volunteering for the Innocence Project, what would they do? Uh, I think on our website, there's volunteer forms. Um, our website is uh, law.sdu.edu slash NCIP. Um, okay. You can also just Google the Northern California Innocence Project. Okay. Um, you can also, uh, if you just call the office, too, and ask for myself or Amy Kennedy, um, We'll, we'll all point you in the right direction. You want to give that number, Paige? Yeah, it's 408-554-1945. Okay. Say, so, Paige, can I interject? We don't just, they don't, the NCIPs all around the world don't just need lawyers and people like that. We need the citizens, you know what I'm saying, of okay. our society, you know what I'm saying? Because without them, you know what I'm saying, it's just like, it leave lawyers in the back because, like many many of the lawyers I wrote to uh, throughout all my time, it, it was it was it was like I couldn't understand why would wouldn't no lawyer just step up and you know try to you know look into the case. You know, out of I, I say about a hundred lawyers I wrote, I probably got responses probably by like twenty of them, and 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 I didn't understand that. You know what I'm saying? So now when I start uh, like bringing out my case, I said I need media, the media. You know what I'm saying? The media is what, you know, encourage people to want to get involved, awareness, you know. And like I say, lawyers, you know, and uh, the investigators, they do they do, the, they do the foundation of the work, you know what I'm saying? But it takes the citizens, you know what I'm saying, the society, you know, to be a part of things, stuff, stuff like this, you know what I'm saying? Because without the media and without the, with the Innocent Project, I don't think I would have, you know, Without the me trying to fight to get the media attention, I don't think I would have stayed, continue, you know, just writing lawyers because I was, I was getting so, you know, drained on it, you know, so I felt like the media is what we really need, you know, to contribute to what, what the NCIP got going on, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. And maybe, maybe with this show, with some more information, we'll get out to people. Yes. Everybody, everybody needs to be involved because as you said earlier, Maurice, when I was talking to you, there's been over a thousand exonerees. And yes. that's amazing. And even though percentage wise of the total prison population, it doesn't sound like very much, but every life is important, you know? Yes. So, yes. you know, you can't look at it in statistics. You know how they used to have that saying, I'll just keep bringing it up. I'm going to get it right one time. You know how they say, they used to say with the, with the justice system, I'd rather see 12 guilty men go free than one innocent. One innocent man incarcerated. Yeah. yeah. Whatever happened to that? You know what I'm saying? It's not like that no more. It's, it's like the other way around. It's like yeah. a, you know, turn, you know, so that, that need to be, you know, re, re, redeveloped. You know what I'm saying? Re, re, rework with. You know? I agree. We need to take another break, guys. Uh, stay tuned for more from Exoneree 
Maurice Caldwell and Paige Kaneb from the Northern California Innocence Project. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. IRB Search is where quality matters. IRB provides access to the best online data for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB data gives you strength in numbers, allowing you to access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified, and you'll receive a two-week free trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guests today are Maurice Caldwell, a man who was wrongfully convicted, served 21 years in prison, and Paige Kinnett from the Northern California Innocence Project, where she is a case manager. Uh, we, you know, off the break, I think we're going to switch gears here a little bit. Off the, when we were on the break, we were talking about the struggles that Maurice has had since he's got out of prison. And Maurice, I'd just like to let you go with that because you've had quite a time. Yeah, you know, since I've been since I've been released from prison, you know, I, the, like my first, you know, weeks and I guess month or two, you know, I had a you know Tony Tiger great attitude, you know, because I, I I was free, you know, what I'm saying I come from a different you know surroundings and I'm able to be a part of society and be with my family now, so that that fulfilled me, you know, what I'm saying I was so fulfilled, but then you know so many things start happening in my life, you know, what I'm saying for us. You know, me lo- ha- happen to go through the experience of losing a close family member and me trying to find a job, me trying to, hello, is that me? Me trying to find a job, me trying to, you know, gain, you know, a way of living now. You know what I'm saying? I look at, you know, how can I be able to gain a way of living? 
You know, so as, as, after a death in my family passed away, you know, thank God, you know, the Innocent Project, you know, was still helping guide me, you know, on the right track. They helped me get a job, you know, that I really loved and enjoyed, you know, and I worked, you know, to, you know, try to support my family because, like I say, a death in my family took away a brother, a brother-in-law that was the main support of my, my family where I was staying, you know, so I had to step up and, and fill his shoes. Mm-hmm. And it was it was hard because I had no experience. I had no experience. I had no directions out here. You know, I was just being assisted by, you know, my lawyer, Paige, and, you know, the NCIP in Santa Clara. You know, so when I got the job, I did everything I had to do. I, I, I didn't just take this job and go in there like a, a, another employee. I took my job to, you know, outdo everybody, let them know a person back from into society after gone for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, he, this is a worker. This is a motivated person. You know what I'm saying? And I was overextending myself. I never had the opportunity and the time or the patience to, you know, focus on my health or nothing. I'm 45 years old. You know, mind you, I've been incarcerated for so long, so I haven't had the right adjustment to come home. You know, even when I came home, it was like there was no assistance for me. You know what I'm saying? No guidance for me. You know, and if I didn't have a family, you know, I felt I, I'd have been lost. You know, and but I had the, the NCIP. You know, and I, I just I don't know. I be I change. I turn the story around. But just let me say, life in society. You know what I'm saying? For exonery, it, it, it's, it's worsening. It is for a parolee. You know, because if uh, when you when a parolee get out of prison or you do a crime and you 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 do your time, you come home, you get you get the assistance of a parole agent. You know what I'm saying? You may get a place to live. You may get uh, you get two hundred dollars gate money. But in the exonery, they don't have no program for exonery. You know what I'm saying? If you exonerated and found not guilty of a crime and you was innocent and you get let out the gate, the only thing you get let out the gate to is the media. You know what I'm saying? You don't get no assistance. You don't get no like they, a, 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 how you say a, a, a notebook. You don't you don't get nothing. No sense of direction. I mind you, I've been gone 20 years. I didn't have they didn't have the DC to even give me a, a, a no, no phone, no no phone money, no bus money, or nothing. So now I'm into society and I'm trying to be productive, but it's hard for me to be productive because I looked at all my productive life was behind prison walls. Mm-hmm. You know, like a person can file tax out here. I should be I, I should be able to file tax. I worked in prison for over 19 years. You know what I'm saying? And and, and throughout all that time, I was innocent. You know what I'm saying? But I never had to, you know, stop and think, you know, I'm not doing this. You know what I'm saying? My life continued to live on. I continued to age in prison and my, I continue to, uh, how you say, acknowledge, uh, uh, how you say, grow. I, I, I continue to grow. So now when I come back into society, the only growing I did was in prison. You know, I don't know how to grow out here. I have to learn how to grow, you know. So I tell a person, I'm like a a, a person from outer space. You know, I'm yeah, going to be different right. from everybody. I don't know a lot of things. You know what I'm saying? I have problems, you know what I'm saying, dealing with things. I have complexes about things. And the first thing I felt that should have been granted to any exonery after going through such and such a long time period of time in prison is psychological evaluation, you know, because like people tell me, you know, I I I act a trick. I I I I have attitudes. You know what I'm saying? It's it, and I try to tell them, you know, you need to just understand where I come from and why I'm at now. You know what I'm saying? When I go into a place down and I don't see it's you know it's, it's acceptable to you know the respectability I bring in there. I have attitudes, you know, and, and like I say, exonery shouldn't have to deal with that. And like I say, I'm I'm out here and I, I can't be productive as I want to be like when I was growing up. You know what I'm saying? Working and all that. Because like I say, my health. And I don't have any medical. 
You know, so when uh, if, 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 a, if a toenail get messed up on the job, to me, I need to be able to get it looked at, and I and I'm not able. But if I was on parole, I could call my parole officer, and she could hire or, or call somebody at the office at the, the office, and they could refer me to go see a doctor. You know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. that's wrong. You know, for a person that do, didn't do a crime and did all that time, and to come home and still have to, you know, be in prison. You know? Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. I mean, we have we have no system to handle people who have been declared factually innocent and released to the community. You're you're absolutely right. It's it's a very strange process that somebody who gets convicted of a crime and is guilty of a crime and gets released on parole has more benefits yes. than somebody who spent like you 21 years in prison and has and is released and just just literally literally released with no help. Yeah. Like, 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 for instance, I don't, I, I didn't never, we, in, in prison, you don't work with computers. You know, I never knew nothing about computers and everything out here is really hot, uh, tech, uh, <laughs> computerized. You, you know, know when and, you, th- when you think about the things that have changed since 1990, we're, it's a completely different world. I mean, I can see how it would feel like you're an alien coming into a, a new world altogether. It's amazing. But it's, it's like the world I come to, I come, I come into this world to be so active and productive, you know, even at the age I am, even after everything I've been through, because I feel like I don't want to return home. And then like they, they feel like this is a person that should have been there or was supposed to have been there. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. that, that wasn't the, the case. I shouldn't right. have never been there. So I want, so now I'm coming home trying to make up. But see, the things I try to make up for is a thing that's that's helping, that's contributing to, to my health. You know, yeah. like I said, I want to go to work. I want to, you know, make a living. And like I say, I should be able to come home and, you know, people know how I came home and other exonerees the way they came home. And it should be a program set. You know what I'm saying? And like I say, exoneree, like me, I could tell you exactly what I what I need and what everybody else need. And, you know, like I say, without question of law. You know what I'm saying? Anybody that was exonerated should be automatically given full medical care, you know, and, 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 a, and a complete psych, psych evaluation. You know what I'm saying? Affordable, yeah. affordable housing. You know what I'm saying? Section eight approval, uh, uh, automatic approval. You know what I'm saying? They got victim awareness funds. We should be entitled to victim awareness funds. You know, vouchers to to you know purchase clothes, food, even cellular phone. You know, to be, put us back active in society. You know what I'm saying? And and, and just part like, of, huh? I was just gonna say part of what you haven't said is that also when like so the job Maurice got, he worked so hard and and had back problems from prison yes. that now he is on workers comp trying to figure out like his hands have gone numb and no. he's got a bulging disc in his back and mm-hmm. every is like contributing you know like 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 an old car you know like a broke how to say a broke down Chevy <laughs> up in prison up in, up in prison I was I was like a, a brand new Ford Mustang yeah. you know yeah. I come I come home you know what I'm saying and I, and I, I get on the society track you know what I'm saying? The, the the productive track. And I try to prove my, myself. And like I say, every, every, every lap I turn, you know, my health is starting to, you know, generate and I don't have anybody to help me level that, 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 that health. You know, when my, my back is having problems, I don't have no doctor to go to to help me, uh, you know, elevate or limit the pain. You know, I have to do it per, per, per like personally. You know, now I got, you know, help, you know, through through the uh, compensation lawyers, you know what I'm saying? And and I don't feel like that's 100% help. You know, it's just advice. Well, you know, Maurice, when you were talking about the Social Security, I mean, that, that's 
I mean, to me, that was so significant because here you, like you say, you worked 21, 21 years in prison. You yes. worked every day. And now you don't have Social Security benefits. You go to apply for Social Security and you don't have a work history where somebody's oh, no. paid in Social Security. Listen, so that isn't available to hey, you. I, I, I love you for just saying that. I just went to the Social Security <laughs> office on the 11th. When I went there, uh, I, I was trying to file Social Security. And when I filed, the lady said, she looked in my, uh, up in the computer and she said, you don't have no work history. Your work history is the last work is 89. And she told me how much I was getting. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, wow. Y'all went back way in, reminded me about a job I didn't know. So then I asked her, I was like, you know what? I told her, I said, I'm an exonerate. You know what I'm saying? You know what I feel should go, you know, after all the time I worked in prison, I shouldn't have been in prison. Exonerate shouldn't have been in prison. So that work history should count for something. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You know, and, yeah. and I asked her, I said, you know what? I could bring my, uh, you know, we get, we get like scores in prison. I told her I got every paperwork of the jobs I had, you know, cause I bring that in. She was like, you know, uh, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, we can't go by that, but I feel a system should be set for that, you know, to where we can do it. Like I say, I'm, I, I need help out here. All exonerates, you know what I'm saying? Need help. But mine it, it is medical to, as well. Mm-hmm. No. And and you're not just I mean I hear what you're saying Maurice. You're not just speaking for yourself. You're speaking for any exoneree. Any any. That... Any every exoneree. You exactly. know I speak like I say I don't speak to for a person that get out on parole. I don't speak for a person that just get out during this time. I speak for the person that got out exactly like me. You know what I'm saying? Through anybody that got out through NCIP, you know what I'm saying, or exonerated from the crime, them the ones I'm speaking on. Cause you know what? Ain't nobody just get, get, uh, just like when they come home, it ain't like the state got grabbed one exonerate and just gave him the life he deserved. He still had to fight and, and fight for that. You know, and that's another thing. You know, exonerate shouldn't have to come home after being exonerated and have to fight the same system to get, get compensated for. You know, once yeah. they allow, once the court allow you to be free, free, you should be, it should be some set, a program set for let's work and put this man on the application and do this. Now, I'm for a silver suit, just for me to have a life, it's taking so much out of, you know, my, my lawyers, you know what I'm saying, me, you know, because I'm thinking one day I may have something, one, may, one day I may not. But then I look at the, the, the fight I'm going through now, you know, so I speak on every exoneree. You know what I'm saying, if, you, if a person even do three days in, in the county for a crime they shouldn't do, it should be a, it, it should be a system in, in place for that instead of fighting the same mm-hmm. broke system that kept him there for that three days, Yeah, you know. For sure. Well, you know, it, I mean, you're right. And I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't even know how to start, uh, establishing something like that, but I would. Age, is that, I would know okay. How. You, how about, that would be great. That would be great. Paige, well, see, how, how would he get started? Well, I mean, we already do. California does have a statute for compensation for the, they call it erroneously imprisoned. Um, but the problem that Maurice is talking about is you have to prove your innocence in front of the Board of Compensation. So no matter what the courts have already said, you have to reprove your innocence. And unfortunately, in the last uh, six years, the Board hasn't given compensation to anyone who didn't have DNA in their case. And because there was no physical evidence in the first place in Maurice's case, there was nothing to DNA test. Right, um, right. So we're still trying for that, but it's also, I mean, there's like four, it's about a four-year wait right now until the Attorney General even responds, and the board won't do anything until the Attorney General responds. So there's nothing that happens immediately. And I guess, I mean, ideally, if we changed 
we could change the statute so that it is more of an automatic process. Like in Texas, they have actually what's very automatic. I mean, you bring your paperwork and you are immediately given money. And, and Texas' scheme actually um, supports you for the rest of your life. You get education, <laughs> housing, and, and that seems, then... That seems you, so odd based on their executions. It seems like yeah, a, right? well, and how a can contradiction. Texas be more advanced than California, right? <laughs> yeah, that that really seems like a contradiction. But, but, but you I know. guess because they've had so many exonerees, what they've done is a lot of exonerees have gone and testified in, in front of Congress about what it's like. And, you know, for some exonerees, there's just permanent damage that they're never going to be able to recover from. I mean, Maurice is probably never going to be able to do manual labor. He has no training in any other kind of for any other kind of workforce. Um, yeah. And there are guys who, and you know, he's 45. There are guys who get out older than him, who, you know, right. crippled mentally or physically. And, and right. so I think the idea of some kind of lifetime support is makes makes a lot of sense. So I think if Maurice um, could start advocating for stuff like that with other exonerees, that might be a really great thing. I mean. That is great. Yeah. That is great. All right, okay. you know, guys, you guys, we're out of time. Unfortunately, we are completely out of time. The, uh, Chad, our wonderful engineer, is uh, going to close me down. He's going to cut us off midstream here if we don't close out. So I have to say thank you to my sponsors, IRB Search and PI Magazine. Thank you, Paige and Maurice. You are fabulous thank guests. You. And, yeah, thanks um, for having us. Absolutely. And uh, I just want to say that there will be a show next week for um, – the, the five-part series on exonerees. Please join us. Tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified.